0: Okay, open your Bibles to Psalm 100. Psalm 100. Let's read all eight verses, five verses together. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him, bless his name, for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. This is a psalm for giving thanks. Very appropriate as we enter into thanksgiving. This was written for the very purpose of facilitating the giving of thanks. So that's going to help us this morning, especially as we prepare for the Lord's table. We're going to consider how the psalmist in Psalm 100 leads God's people to give thanks. What precipitates that giving of thanks? And then we're going to consider how this framework of the psalm can help us as Christians to give thanks to God. And so before we get into it, just notice the structure of this psalm. It's only five verses. But in those five verses, we see two separate sections. Each one invites God's people to praise the Lord and then offers reasons why. Reasons why. And so we opened it up for Thanksgiving because all those things that we asked you to share uh, that you're thankful for are reasons to praise God. And I'm very thankful that every one of those things that you mentioned uh, really focuses on spiritual growth and spiritual community. And so we're going to see here why God should be served and why God should be praised and why God should be thanked and why God should be blessed. Uh, Look in verse 1 through 3. This is the first section of this psalm. First of all, in verse 1 through 3, it's come and worship. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. And then it gives us reasons why, starting in the latter part of verse 3. It is He who made us, we are His, we are His people, and the sheep of His pasture. Well, those are good reasons to come and praise and to worship. Then the next section, starting in verse 4, Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him, bless His name. There's the invitation, come and worship. Then verse 5, it gives us the reasons why. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and His faithfulness to all generations. So, Come and praise the Lord. That's the invitation this morning. Serve him with gladness. Sing in his presence. Why? Because of what he has done and because of who he is. The context here, or the historic, we could say the historical context here, would have been that of God's people, the Jews, coming into Jerusalem, uh, really maybe for a festival and proceeding towards the temple. Notice in verse 2, It says, come into his presence with singing. And then in verse 4, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Again, the idea here is a psalm given to facilitate the worship of God as God's people uh, enter into the holy city, towards the temple. That's the idea. So this psalm envisions men and women uh, who are coming from all corners of Jerusalem, all corners of other Uh, uh, cities streaming into the temple mount and picture singing, picture dancing, praising the Lord as they come. He further envisions those worshipers entering then the outer courts of the temple and then coming near uh, to the Holy of Holies, continuing those songs, continuing that praise, continuing that thanksgiving. That's the picture here. And there they were, according to verse 2, what? They were to serve the Lord. That is, they were to come to worship him and they were to worship him alone they were to perform all of their religious obligations as prescribed by the lord and they were to do it with willing and glad hearts that's the idea so come worship come praise him for who he is for what he has done let's come together and let's serve the lord these were times of pilgrimage and praise and if you could picture uh maybe in that time period families uh, coming from all corners to jerusalem to worship and singing, and shouting, and you have some of those memories as a child, right? Some of those really fond memories, I don't know exactly what the memory would have been, but something where you look back with fondness, and the sounds, and the activity, and the smells, and so on, uh, and and that's the idea here, these these pilgrimages to and festivals to the holy city would have become very fond memories for families as they came together to worship the Lord for who He is and what He has done. So precious that in Psalm 42, remember, we dealt with this some months ago in Psalm 42. We read the sorrow and lament of a Jewish man who is righteous in heart and is being kept from these types of festivals. And so precious were these times for the Jews that the psalmist in Psalm 42 cries out and says, As the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. I miss those times. My soul thirsts for God. For the living God, when shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise and multitude keeping festival. So here's actually a worship leader saying, I miss those times. Leading God's people to thank him and to praise him for who he is and what he's done. Why are you cast down, O my soul? He says, why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him for my salvation. That's how near and dear such worship was to the heart of the faithful Jew. Another helpful psalm which helps us capture that scene is Psalm 96. It says, O sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless His name. Tell of His salvation from day to day. Declare His glory among the nations, His marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth captures wonderfully the spirit of those pilgrims who would come to worship God, to give thanks for who He is and what He has done. And the content of those songs. Praise God for He is the only true God. Glory to God for His holiness. Glory to God for the salvation that He's provided for all of His people. Those are reasons to give thanks. As they enter the gates of the city, their thanksgiving continues. As they come to the outer courts of the temple, it intensifies. They continue to praise and to give thanks to God. Once inside, they serve him. They offer their sacrifices. They serve the Lord with all their hearts and all their soul. Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 10 prepared the children of Israel for just such a scene. He says, and now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? But fear the Lord your God to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, to keep his commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens and the earth with all that is in it. Yet the Lord set his heart in love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them, you above all peoples as you are this day. And so Moses says, Come, praise God, come serve God. Number one, he's a creator. He made you. But number two, he is your God by virtue of creation, but he's also your God by virtue of redemption because he set his heart upon you above all people. So praise God because he's a creator of all and and worship is due his name by virtue of the fact that he's a creator of the universe. But then, if you are part of God's people, there's a secondary and maybe even greater reason to praise God, and that is, He has set His love and affection upon you. What awesome reasons to give thanks to God for who He is and what He has done. Now, notice in verse 3, we find a sort of introductory remark here, which, which, which sets the reasons for the praises and thanksgivings that follow. Know that the Lord, He is God pretty simple. Worship him because he is God. And here we begin to see see something very interesting in this psalm. If you picture for a moment uh, a scene where the psalmist envisions thousands upon thousands of Jews streaming into Jerusalem with joy and gladness to worship the true God, it kind of brings to mind, and we're going to see this theme throughout, think about that again. Thousands and thousands of Jewish people with singing and shouting, streaming together uh, on a pilgrimage, what picture does that invoke or evoke? Really, it reminds me and should remind you, and this is the psalmist's point, of the Exodus. Thousands and thousands of Jews together, with singing and shouting, uh, praising God uh, on a pilgrimage together. That's actually the intended imagery of Psalm 100 joy and gladness, thousands streaming, worshiping the one uh, true God. Exodus chapter 15, verse 1. Notice the parallels. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. A few verses later, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome and glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand, and the earth swallowed them. It's the Egyptians during the Exodus. You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. The peoples have heard, they trembled. Pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. Now are the chiefs of Edom dismayed. Trembling seizes the leaders of Moab. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. A few verses later in verse 20, Then Miriam the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing. And Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The parallels here between the song of Moses coming out of the Exodus and Psalm 100 are intended. They're very clear. The exodus, that is God's deliverance of his people from the captivity of Egypt, was the formative event that formed the people of God. This is that event that introduced Yahweh, the covenant keeping God with his steadfast love, to the people that he would forge through the exodus. It's the exodus that forged the identity of Israel as God's people. He is their God by virtue of creation, and he is their God by virtue of redemption. It's the Exodus which brought the people to Sinai, where then they received the law of God and they became a nation. Psalm one hundred and five makes that connection clear. It says in verse forty three, so he brought up, so he brought his people out with joy, his chosen ones were singing, and he gave them the lands of the nations, and they took possession of the fruit of the people's toil, that they might keep his statutes and observe his laws. Praise the Lord. Very similar to Psalm one hundred saying that God claims a people, they then respond with joy in singing so that they might keep His statutes, that is, so they might serve Him. It follows the same pattern of Psalm 100. When God poured out His judgments upon Egypt, He was not just judging Pharaoh, but He was making it abundantly clear that any of the so-called gods of Egypt had no power, and that He actually was the creator with power over all of uh, the natural forces. He poured out ten plagues each designed to display that he alone had the power over the elements uh, which the Egyptians had ascribed to other false gods. So that when Israel came to Mount Sinai and it came time to receive the law of God, the Lord said in Exodus 20, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. And so through the Exodus, God forged Israel as the people of God. Through the Exodus, God displayed that he, the Lord, he is God. So the psalmist in Psalm 100 says, know that the Lord, he is God. There's no one else. This is he who made us. We are his. We are not only his people by virtue of creation, but he has forged us together as a people via redemption. This is a reason to praise and to thank and to serve the Lord. He's the creator of all. He's chosen a special people to be his in the context of a covenant relationship with himself. The Lord says to Israel through the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 54, For your maker, creator, is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name, and the Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. The God of the holy earth, he is called. What do we see again? Praise God for who he is. He's God. He's creator. But then understand that you are His special people. You are the beneficiaries of a special uh, affection and a special watch care, a steadfast love from the Lord. So praise Him and let your praise be multiplied because He is Creator and He is Redeemer. The Creator has taken us to be His people. That's the idea. We are His. We are His people. Thanks be to God. Thanks to be to the only God. Praise Him. Bless Him because we are His. Next, Notice that the psalmist in Psalm 100, verse 3, gives another reason to thank God. Not only is he maker, creator, not only is he redeemer, but let's look at the nature of the relationship he has with us as our God. What does it say? We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. If you'll grab Leadership Matters, the first... Two, three chapters are all about a biblical theology of shepherding, explaining how the title of pastor comes from that word. Sh- it just means shepherd, and uh, elders are appointed as pastors or shepherds over God's people, uh, coming in a long line of shepherds that God appoints with a delegated authority over his people. All of that flows from the reality that God himself is first the shepherd, Pastors and elders are simply under-shepherds that are appointed to oversee with a delegated authority his sheep that belong first and foremost to him. But God is the shepherd. God, as shepherd, leads and guides his people like a shepherd would lead and guide sheep. God, as shepherd, provides for his people. He protects his people. He saves those of his people who become lost and recovers them. He gathers those that are scattered. He corrects those who are straying. He is the shepherd. This is, again, an explicit reference to the Exodus. When Moses is called, uh, when he's driven out of Egypt because of uh, the situation where he came to the defense of a fellow Jew, he's driven out of Egypt. The first scene that we find, after he's driven out of Egypt, is he finds himself at a well. And there at the well, the, uh, 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 there's women there who are, are being intimidated by other shepherds. And they're unable to water their sheep. Well, Moses steps in and uh, uh, defends those women, and he helps them water the sheep. He finds himself really operating like a shepherd, and then he ends up in Midian, under uh, he marries a woman, and uh, her uh, father's name is Jethro, and he ends up becoming a shepherd of the sheep of Jethro. What God has done is He drives Moses out of Egypt, and then He makes him into a shepherd. And then what we find is that when he calls him to lead people out of Egypt, he goes into Egypt with no weapons, but all he has is a shepherd's staff. And you see this picture then at the Exodus of Moses leading his people, or leading God's people, out of Egypt, throngs of thousands upon thousands upon thousands, and there's Moses uh, in front of them with a shepherd's staff. Very, very clear what's happening. Psalm 78, verse 51. He struck down every firstborn in Egypt, the firstfruits of their strength in the tents of Ham, Then he led out his people like sheep and guided them in the wilderness like a flock. He led them in safety so that they were not afraid. But the sea overwhelmed their enemies, and he brought them to his holy land, to the mountain which his right hand had won. He drove out nations before them. He apportioned them for a possession and settled the tribes of Israel in their tents. The psalmist is saying God is the grand shepherd. He used Moses like an under shepherd to lead his people. But praise God for his shepherding work. He guides us. He provides for us. He protects us. He saves us. He gathers those who are scattered. He corrects us. Thank God that we are the sheep of his pasture. As a shepherd, has a special relationship with his flock, so God has a special, intimate relationship with us. That's what the psalmist is saying. Psalm 79, 13. But we, your people, the sheep of your pasture, will what? Will give thanks to you forever. From generation to generation, we will recount your praise. That's a wonderful reason to give thanksgiving to God. He's the only true God. He's the creator. He's the redeemer. He has set a special affection upon a people that he has claimed to be his own, and then he has related to those people as a shepherd would relate to sheep. Now look again at verse 4 of Psalm 100, and this begins the second section of the psalm. And here there's another invitation to enter the holy city and the temple courts with thanksgiving. Verse 4, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. When he says bless his name, he's talking about all the character of God, the nature of God. That's, the idea of, that's what the idea of name entails. Bless God for all that he is. Then verse 5, the psalmist goes on to offer a few specifics here. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. His faithfulness to all generations. Now, any thoughts on where the psalmist may have got those specific uh, elements of God's character to bring to the fore, to encourage his people to praise God? I mean, why does he specifically focus on the fact that God is good, that God is faithful, and that God is a God of steadfast love? Why is he bringing up those aspects of God's character here? Well... Exodus chapter 34. This is when the Lord gave the law to Moses before Moses descended Mount Sinai. The Lord comes and condescends in a wonderful act of mercy, providing Moses with an incredible revelation concerning his own character or his name. So Exodus 34 verse 5, the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The psalmist in Psalm 100 is trying to recapture the experience of Moses there on the mount saying, hey, uh, let me declare to you the name of God. And he's faithful. He has steadfast love. He is good. So what's the right response? Well, just like Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped, so too, as we read the psalm, we're to enter into worship. Praise God for who he is. Merciful, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, yet still just but forgiving sin that ought to drive us to thanksgiving. The steadfast love here speaks of the loyal covenant love of God. Again, it focuses on the idea that God is a covenant God who enters into relationship with a chosen people. Praise him for his steadfast love. When he makes covenant, he does not break covenant. And those who his people are on the receiving end of that undeserved faithfulness. So what? How do we respond to that? give thanks. Come into his courts, give thanks, praise him, and serve him. Bless his name, make a joyful noise, serve the Lord with gladness. So that's it. What an awesome psalm. It's written to facilitate the giving of thanks to God by a thankful people. But here's a question. As we read the Old Testament, one of the things we must always do is keep in mind what we're reading and where it flows in the covenantal flow of redemption. So what covenant is this under? Well, this is written at a time uh, where the covenant of grace, uh, Christ has not yet come. The new covenant has not, has not come in. Okay. So then how do we as Christians relate to this? We're not going to the temple. We're not going to be part of those throngs going to the physical temple outside the courts. That's not for us. Christ has fulfilled all of that. So do we have reason then to use the language of the psalmist so that Psalm 100 leads us to worship Uh, our God? Absolutely, absolutely. We worship the same God. He has the same character as found in this psalm. But there are incredible differences between us, those who have entered into the new covenant, over those who are part of the old. Do we also have reason to make a joyful noise to the Lord? Should we also feel compelled to serve the Lord with gladness? Should we also overflow with singing and thanksgiving and praise? Not only should we, but so much the more, as we're going to see. We as Christians, and everything in this psalm points to the ultimate fulfillment of everything in this psalm, which is Jesus Christ. And we are those who worship God for who Christ is and for what He has done for us. The psalmist roots this entire psalm in God's works in the Exodus. And you know this about Jewish identity, always looking back to the Exodus, always looking back to the Exodus. We are the people whom God has redeemed. Uh, He has delivered us from the hands of uh, the Egyptians, from captivity and so on. Always looking back to the Exodus because that's where their identity was forged, via his servant Moses. But we're Christians this morning. Do you understand that Jesus has been counted of worthy of more glory than Moses? Because he has led his people in freedom, not from the captivity of Egypt, but out of the captivity of sin, death, and Satan. Jesus Christ is the greatest, m- greater Moses, leading in a greater captivity, which le- should lead us to even greater praise and greater thanksgiving. By freeing his people from slavery in Egypt, the Lord forged a kingdom of people for himself from among the peoples of the earth but the Bible says of Jesus in Revelation chapter 1, that He loves us and has freed us from our sins by His blood and made us a kingdom, priest to, to God and Father, to Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. The children of Israel were spared the wrath of God by the blood of a lamb that was painted on the, on the lintel of their doorposts. We're delivered from the blood of the sinless Son of God who gave himself for us, who leads us then in an even greater exodus, delivering us from the wrath of God. Titus chapter 2, verse 14 says that Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us. Remember, what did we say? That God is our God by virtue of creation, but also redemption. But we have a far greater redemption than the redemption out of captivity in Egypt. He gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. And through that, what God is calling to himself, a people from every nation, forging together another community, a better community uh, via redemption. Through the Exodus, what did the Lord become to Israel? A shepherd. He delegates this shepherding work to Moses, who has a shepherd staff and leads the people out of Israel. And you say, well, God has been a shepherd to me. But in John chapter 10, we learn that Jesus is what? What does he call himself? The good shepherd. A greater shepherd, a greater Moses, who lays down his life for his sheep. He gives everything for his sheep so that his sheep can come and find rest in him. Because the Lord is good, and because his steadfast love endures forever, he has given us the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus leads us to an even greater procession than the psalmist could ever envision in Psalm 100. Consider that the host of Jews here were headed to the holy city. And even though the psalmist will say, we're entering into the presence of God, they really weren't. The best the Jews could do was get near the presence of God. Only one man could go into the Holy of Holies, and that's the high priest, and he could only go once a year, and he could only go after uh, atoning for blood, through the shed, the, uh, atoning for his sin through the shedding of blood. Uh, the other Jews who were singing and praising, saying, we're entering his presence, well, you're getting in the vicinity of his presence, but you dare not step into the Holy of Holies, into the presence of God. Jesus, however, in Hebrews chapter 10 does not simply lead us in procession into the outer courts of the temple, but according to the writer of Hebrews, he enters right into the heart of the Holy of Holies, into the presence of God, and then makes a way so that all of us through him can enter in as well. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places, understand how radical that idea is. We all have confidence to enter into the holy places by the blood of Jesus by the new and living way that He opened up for us through the curtain, that is, through the flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. This is a cleansing that happens not just on the outside, but from the inside out, something the Jews did not know. And our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for He who promised is faithful." What is this? Listen, as wonderful as Psalm 100 is, the joy and thanksgiving that they're experiencing just there in the outer courts of the temple pales in comparison uh, to what we have through Jesus Christ. If the Jew in Psalm 100 is going to offer praise and thanksgiving and say, because of who God is and what He's done, we should worship and serve Him, how much the more the Christian, who understands that we enter right into the holy place, into the presence of God through Jesus... Jesus leads us in procession through the gates of the city and then through the outer courts of the city and then through the inner courts of the city and then right into the holy place and directly into the presence of God. When Jesus died on the cross, his, the Bible says his flesh was torn. The parallel being made or the comparison being made to that veil that kept men out of the holy of holies And so Jesus' body was torn on the cross. What does the Bible say? It says that at that very moment, the veil of the temple was split from the top to the bottom, signifying that the way has now been made into the presence of God. While the Jews in Psalm 100 are singing and praising and thanking and serving God in the courtyard, we have much more reason to be singing and thanking and serving, praising God from within the Holy of Holies. Then notice... Something else in Psalm 100. There's another way in which this anticip- anticipates Christ. In verse one, it says, "A psalm for giving thanks. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth." As in the Jews of the in the Old Testament under the Old Covenant were called by God to be lights shining in darkness. They were called to be an evangelistic nation who brought uh, uh, word of who God was and what God has done to all nations. That was the whole idea. That was the promise of the Abrahamic covenant as well, that through Abraham all nations would be blessed. That was the intention, that Israel would become an evangelistic nation who, because of their holiness as priests of God, would bring other nations to the worship of the Creator. That was the intention, and they utterly failed. A proselyte here and there, sure, uh, but they were not the evangelistic nation that God intended them to be. So the psalmist is very optimistic here in verse 1. Make a joyful noise to the Lord. All the earth serve the Lord with gladness. And so he's foreseeing, really, again, with a hopeful anticipation and maybe a little bit of optimism, a time when all the nations or all the earth would come and worship the God of heaven. But that didn't happen in the Old Testament. We didn't see every race and every ethnicity streaming into Jerusalem to worship the God of heaven. It just didn't happen. Though you did have, again, occasional proselytes. But we do see something in Revelation chapter 5, where we actually do see the fulfillment of a time when all nations will come and worship God. Uh, And how does that come about? Well, Revelation chapter 5, verse 9. Speaking of those who are the saints, these who have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, it says, they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and by your blood, you ransom people for God from what? Every tribe and language and people and nation. And you made from them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth, that is Jesus Christ through his sacrifice, has what he has fulfilled uh, in us, in the church, what Israel was intended to be. And so through the gospel, what the world word has gone out to every nation, the globe over, and men and women from every nation, every language, every ethnicity have come to receive the Lord Jesus Christ. So now what do we visualize? Every Lord's day, what do we have? We have such a diverse Peoples who have come, received the gospel, and are coming to worship God. That's what we're doing this morning. Here we are in Canada, right? Coming to worship God together. And elsewhere in the globe, uh, Christians joining together to worship the Lord through Jesus Christ. So Christ then accomplishes what the psalmist hopes one day would come to pass. Men and women from every nation, every language, every ethnicity, worshiping the Lord together. People from all over the earth with reason to give thanks with reason to make a joyful noise, with reasons to serve the Lord, because Jesus has saved them and has made them his people. Is that not what's represented here this morning? You look around, we're thankful that the congregation at Calvary is relatively diverse, represents the gospel very well. Men and women from various nations, different languages brought together by Jesus Christ, all together what we have been delivered from the captivity of sin, He's brought us all to the Father, and he has made us his people. And now we are all beneficiaries of God's steadfast covenant love and his shepherding work in which he not only is our God by virtue of creation, but he is our God by virtue of redemption through Jesus Christ. This is what God has done for us this morning. And so what? We have reason to praise him, don't we? As as we ask the question, what are you thankful for? Uh, Psalm 100 could be a wonderful psalm. Uh, utilized by even the followers of Jesus Christ as we look at it and realize that the ultimate fulfillment of all of this to the nth degree is through our Lord and Savior. Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you for Jesus. As wonderful as this psalm is, Lord, we understand that it's simply a foretaste. It just looks forward to a far greater worship, a far greater covenant, a far greater exodus executed by a far greater Moses, who gives us a far greater deliverance and salvation. And so, Lord, this morning we thank you and we praise you for who you are. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your steadfast love. And we confess this morning that you have expressed your goodness and your faithfulness and your steadfast love perfectly in the giving of your Son, in his incarnation and his perfect life and his substitutionary, sacrificial death, and his resurrection, Lord. You have uh, given yourself to us. And uh, so this morning, we glorify your name for all that you are, your goodness and your faithfulness and your steadfast love. And this morning, we recognize that we have become your people, not simply through a physical exodus, but we've become your people via the redemption that you've given us in Jesus. You've called us out as a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. So help us now glorify you as those who have been called out of darkness into your marvelous light. We thank you for the diversity of Calvary Baptist Church, wonderful evidence of the gospel's power, that you're bringing together diverse people and unifying us through the gospel of Jesus. Help us to practically live out that unity. So this morning, Lord, we praise you. We pray that as we continue on and observe the Lord's Supper, that this would continue to be a time of thanksgiving as we magnify you for who you are and all that you've done for us uh, through your Son. Amen.